If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 532. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. We're getting into Black Friday season. That's coming up. So you're going to want to be on that email list so you get those coupons. And I will tell you, I'm just going to preface this, when you are getting those emails this year, this will be the last time I'm going to offer a really deep discount at McLeanahan Academy. So you're going to want to head over there and get that in the next couple of months. But anyways, do that. You support the show. You buy a class, you keep this class, or keep this podcast, I should say, free of charge by buying a class or two or 12 or 20. Also, support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that support tab. You can go to anchor.fm. You can become a subscriber there. You can go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that shop tab. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Again, make great Christmas gifts. You can purchase one of my books. I've got a lot of those. Southern Scribblings, the Jeffersonian Tradition are the most recent. All of that helps support the show. And as always... Share the podcast around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Let them know this is a great podcast. Again, if we just got, if you got two of your friends listen to it and they got two of their friends listen to it, hey, we've just grown the audience organically and exponentially at that point. So that's what we need to be doing to try to get more people on board with this. And in fact, this week we've talked about uh, the problems with this Lincolnian grant worship that we have in modern conservatism. We talked about how to teach Jackson, but I want to wrap up the week. These next two podcasts are going to be about uh, secession and Jeffersonianism. And so I like going back to these principles. And again, I've been pretty hard on the Claremont Institute. Not There are some good people at the Claremont Institute saying the right things. But then again, they're also... They're, they can't get out of their way with talking about Lincoln. I mean, this is the issue. If you're going to be an American conservative, you cannot be a Lincolnian. It's impossible. It can't happen. And I know that Jaffa tried to do it, which is why I'm shocked at some of the people that try to go through mental contortions to do this. Glenn Elmers has done it. I talked about that weeks ago. They're getting at the right spot, but then they can't quite get there because they've been taught by Harry Jaffa or... Harry Jaffa acolytes, and Harry Jaffa was a Lincolnian. And you can't be a Lincolnian and be a secessionist. You just can't do it. You can't be a Lincolnian and believe in decentralization. You can't do it. Because Lincoln didn't believe in it. If he did, there would have been no war, right? So, I mean, at that point, you have to understand that once you get on board with Lincoln, well, then you got to worship Grant. you got to say that all this centralization of power was a good thing. 
That's what you have to do. It's the logical conclusion to all of this. So all these people on the Claremont Institute that are running around trying, and, and again, they, they published some things on Lee. I think they're getting it. Some of the people are getting it. Wait a second here. The, ultimately, I think the the natural progression, the, these people are about maybe five years behind. Where the, in, in about five years, I see them coming around to our side. Okay, if they can, if they can drop their Lincoln worship, I see them coming around to our side. They're about five years behind. This is the natural progression. You start out as a as a neoconservative, uh, or you know, this, you start out Republican, right? Everybody does this. You start out with that. Then you start reading things, and you think, wait a second here. There's something to this. There's something to this. And so then the Claremont people, I mean, they've kind of gotten it a little bit, but see, they're all Jaffaites, so they're all Straussians. They're all centralizers. They're all in that They're in that particular position. They can't get out of their way, and but their own way. But yet they're, they're going to start seeing it, and eventually they'll start, I think, if they're intellectually honest, they'll start abandoning Harry Jaffa. They'll start abandoning... Claremont and that Straussian position, and they'll come all the way around to it. They'll come around to seeing that, hey, maybe Russell Kirk was onto something when he included John C. Calhoun in the in the conservative mind. Maybe the Southern side is is the right side in all this when it comes to decentralization. So I think that's the natural progression of things. And so I want to talk about this week. We're going today. I'm going to talk about Rich Lowry. And tomorrow I'm going to do wrap up the week with a discussion of a great piece in the American Conservative. But we're going to start with National Review today. And this piece is hilarious to me. Now, Rich Lowry, of course, is, uh, I mean, he's as awful as you can get when it comes to this idea of centralization, you know, big, the, the con inc, big conservatism. This is what he is, right? All these people uh, at National Review are that. And remember, You've got Claremont people. You've got Straussians writing at National Review. Cameron Hilditch, right? So, I mean, you have these people that write for National Review, and this is where, you know, there are problems with the Claremont Institute because it produces all that stuff. I mean, these people can't understand that what they're doing is actually undermining American conservatism. They're undermining federalism. They're undermining the entire basis of the federal union, the federal republic. You can't have Lincoln and have that too. It's impossible. So this piece was published October 8th. National divorce is a poisonously stupid idea. Now, why is Rich Lowry taking my term? That's my term, stupid, right? (laughs) But here he is, Rich Lowry taking my idea. It's stupid. Well, I think his piece is stupid. Uh, his piece is ridiculous. And I'm going to explain why. All right, so it's not a long piece, but I want to get into this. He says, divorce isn't usually isn't a good idea, and that's especially true of a nearly 250-year-old continental nation. From the beginning, I'll say I agree with him on one thing and I don't on another. Divorce isn't usually a good idea. I actually agree with that, right? We should try to maintain unions as long as we can and try to work things out. But in this particular case, have we not been trying that now for 150 years to work this out? We've been, and, and by the way, the reason that we're forced into this to begin with is because of Abraham Lincoln. Remember that now. That's why we're all here, because Lincoln said union was a good thing. And of course, Lincoln and the Republicans were the 19th century left. This is where I've said all these people are just 19th century leftists. I talked about this yesterday. They're all just 19th century leftists. 
The Republican Party is that. It is a party of 19th century leftists. This is, again, you've got people saying it. Dabney, most importantly, said this. American conservatism is essentially stupid because they're not conserving anything. Nothing. Particularly dominated by the North. And we're going to get into that with the piece tomorrow. It's, again, it's a fantastic piece. Now, we also don't have a continental nation. There's no nation here. We have a federal republic. So from the beginning, Rich Lowry doesn't even understand what the United States is. Or I should say, are. What the United States are which is a federal republic, a republic of republics. It's not, a, it's not a unitary state. We don't have the French system. And, of course, I think that's what people don't understand. The French system essentially was foisted on the United States with this consolidation of power, or you could say a Prussian system, Prussian centralized system. That's what we've gotten. But that wasn't what it was designed to be. a cadre of apocalyptic writers on the right who believe the country is too far gone to save have become obsessed with Secession 2.0 that would cleave red America from blue and allow the former to escape the ever-rising tide of woke insanity. So it's a cadre of apocalyptic writers. I'm I'm an apocalyptic writer. Now, I didn't didn't look at uh, who is... Who he links to. He links to another piece in uh, National Review from October 5th, in which in which I agree with Ben Dominich about national divorce. And of course, Ben, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Glenn Beck had a special on secession. I mean, this is being discussed now. The, the amazing thing about this to me, six years ago, I gave a talk for Mesa Circle in, in Texas on secession. And I've been interested in the topic for nearly 25 years. 25 years ago, no one was talking about secession. No one. No one was talking about it. If you did polls 25 years ago about secession, well, you would have had maybe 5% of America, at the most, would say, yeah, we need to do that. Now, we're up to nearly 50%. And it's not just those on the right. I know people on the right are talking about it. But it's also those on the left. But you see, Rich Lowry and Glenn Beck are afraid of it. Glenn Beck has said he would never be a secessionist. So you want to be in this union with people that don't like you. You want to be in a union with people that that essentially want you dead. I mean, this is true. And the, the arguments that Lowry makes here are just kind of silly. So he says, there is no doubt the country is deeply riven along political, cultural, and religious lines, yet a national divorce has nothing to recommend it. The practical obstacles are insuperable, and the likely effects will be very unwelcome to its proponents. If an insufficient patriotism is one of the ills of contemporary America, then a national divorce would prescribe arsenic as a cure. It would burn down America to save America, or at least those parts of it considered salvageable. So, first of all, number one, he confuses patriotism with nationalism. I think you're being patriotic when you're talking about a national divorce, quote-unquote national divorce. You're being patriotic because you're actually adhering to the founding principles, to the idea of self-determination, to the idea of the original Constitution, the Federal Republic. You're being patriotic by doing that. The other side is not. 
They're not being patriotic at all. What they're being is power-hungry nationalists who just want to force you to do what they want you to do. That's not patriotism. It's not patriotism at all. It would burn down America to save America. It hasn't burned anything down. America's already gone. We've already lost America. We lost America a long time ago. We lost America, I could say, 1865. Because from that point forward, we didn't have America anymore. We had a new America. A new republic. A new union. The original union was gone. That union died in 1865 when the war was over. So we haven't had America for 150 years. In fact, I'll, I'll go back to James Byard. If you look over my shoulder now, i got a new bobblehead. It's James Byard. One of a kind. The only one in the world. James Byard. But anyways, I've got a James Byard bobblehead because he's so interesting to me. James Byard pointed this out. He said, look, we're not, we're not destroying the United States with, by letting the South go in peace. We still have it. In fact, we save America that way. If we conquer the South, well, we've essentially lost America. This is the same thing Sumner said with the Spanish-American War. William Graham Sumner, when he said, look, if we go to war with Spain, we're going to be conquered by Spain. We've essentially adopted a European imperial model. We are not the United States anymore of the founding generation. That doesn't exist. We're not the Federal Republic of the founding generation. So we've already lost America. In fact, what this would do, of course, would be to save America. He's right. It would be to save America. Do you think that in 1688, the English, who were getting rid of James II and bringing in William and Mary and writing the English Bill of Rights, were saying... Uh, we're burning down England to save England. No, they were saying, we're just saving England. We're essentially ensuring that the principles of the Magna Carta are going to be enforced, and we're going to put the king under our heel. Now, you could say we could do that in the United States. Good luck. Good luck. It's nearly impossible, unless you have some type of decentralization. A disaggregated United States would be instantly less powerful. Oh, no. So you mean uh, we wouldn't be able to spend uh, billions and billions on defense, quote-unquote defense. We, we wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Now, he doesn't go so far as to say, well, that would lead to parts of the United States being conquered by Russia and China, but he does bring it up. Indeed, Russia and China would be delighted and presumably believe that we desire to experience the equivalent of the crack-up of the Soviet Union, or the uh, Qing Dynasty, respectively. So, uh, the oftentimes you get people saying, well, my gosh, we're going to be invaded at that point. Does, does Russia invade Germany or Great Britain? How about China? Do they invade those places? No. I mean, you're talking about states. Just take California. In fact, I think the real problem is that right Amer the, the right of America, the American right, should not be pushing for red state secession. We should be pushing for blue state secession. We should be encouraging California to leave. We should be encouraging California, Washington, and Oregon to join a union of themselves and leave. In fact, it should be a plank of uh, the conservative side of America. We're going to vote them out because, you see, you can do that according to Texas v. White. 
the Congress could vote those states out of the Union. You're no longer part of the Union. Sayonara. Now, you'd have to work out a lot of things here because we would lose all of our Pacific ports. So that would be a problem for the rest of the United States, potentially. But all that could be worked out. This is the issue, though. And he, he does get into that. The economic consequences would be severe. The United States of America is a continent-wide free trade zone, creating a vast domestic market that makes us all better off. Exchanging that for a market balkanized by state or region would be a major loss. Now, this is one of the arguments for union. I mean, he, he's bringing up the arguments that were made, essentially, in 1788, 1787, as we're talking about the Constitution. As the Constitution was going through the ratification process, these arguments were made. Defense and commerce. He's making the same exact arguments. So I can actually buy some of these things. I think a union would be beneficial if it was done with a limited central authority. If it was done with a limited central authority. But we don't have that anymore. You see, we've got a constitution that allows the general government to do essentially whatever it wants now. At least that's what it says. We know that that's not really the case. But this is what we have. And so if that's the case, well, then why do you want to be in that union? We would need some really serious reforms. This is one people talking about an Article 5 convention. I'm behind that, too. Call a convention, at least at that point, if you created a, a, a unitary monstrosity out of that. Well, then there would be no wiggle room anymore. But somebody did email me the other day, a listener of the show, and he said, look, we've already got all kinds of, you talk about uh, the, the fact of, you know, the local has to resist the center. Look at all the federal rules and regulations. This is true, right? This is true. And my response to that is, well, you got to start ignoring some of that stuff. The problem, of course, is that people can take you to court. So you've got to have people on the bench who would start invalidating a lot of these federal rules and regulations. They're unconstitutional. You've got to challenge these things, but you have to have people willing to do it. And you've got to have localities willing to stand up to it. He was saying, look, he worked for uh, you know, several uh, state nonprofits and other things, and everything was some type of federal regulation they had to follow. The states that, But all those things are unconstitutional. This is my whole point. They're all unconstitutional. So they have to be resisted some way, and the local is how you do it. you got to do it from the bottom up. You can't do it from the top down. No Congress is going to repeal these things. I can guarantee you they're talking about this idea where they're going to uh, try to get uh, $600 transactions for the IRS. Once they do it, the Republicans would never repeal it because there are Republicans that want it. They want to have just as much power as the Democrats. They might debate the amount that they're going to look at, but if they ever got it, it's never going away. So the the point of all this is it's, it should be the motto for everyone is no shut up, right? No shut up. You're not getting this. It's no shut up. It should be zero. No n nothing. There, there's nothing. We're not giving you even an inch. But see, the Republican Party is always just a little bit behind the Democrats. They're willing to give because they really are the 19th century leftist party. This is what they are. I'm just not willing to go as far as the Democrats on all these things right now. And that's because the Democrats are not even, it's not the same Democrat Party. I mean, they've, they've completely abandoned anything that was tied to the old Democrat Party. It doesn't matter to them anymore. You can say, oh, the Democrats in the past, I've said this yesterday, Democrats in the past are all racist, so we're not that party anymore. This is stupid. Finally, the United States, foundering on its 
domestic divisions would be, ins- would be a significant blow to the prestige of liberal democracy. Oh, no. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln worried about this effect the first time around, and it might be even worse now with a long, stable republic unable to survive internal dis- dissension. Oh, no, we're going to be worried about the prestige of liberal... How about this would be democracy working the way it's supposed to? Because uh, it, we would not have government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Would there not be, if, if we had conventions called, as we did in 1860 and 61, that's exactly how the state left the states left the Union. They called conventions, and they seceded from the Union. That was democracy in practice. You see, Abraham Lincoln is a centralizer. Abraham Lincoln is not the person we should be invoking here for American conservatism. Not at all. But here's Rich Lowry because Rich Lowry is a centralizer. This is this stuff is just ridiculous. Then there's the question of how this is supposed to work. Lincoln warned of the physical impossibility of secession when the Mason-Dixon line was a more or less ready line of demarcation. How would it play out now with conservatives and progressives amply represented in every state in the Union? Well, who's got the majority in those states? Yeah, there's there's conservatives in California, but they don't control the state. In fact, they don't even get close to controlling the state. So you know what you do? You leave. And I know some people say, oh, I can't do that. All right, then then you're, you're in the minority there. And this is the way it works. If we believe in majority government, you got to ensure that the minority is protected in every case. So you'd have to hope that there could be some impact there that you could try to control that at least. The minority is protected. But you've got, I mean, we, we believe in democracy, right? We believe in majority rule. So if that's the particular case, the problem with, oh yeah, but then what about, we believe in majority rule, then you've got to agree with the United States government. It's majority rule. Well, okay, but was the U.S. government supposed to be a quote-unquote democracy? No, it wasn't. Was it supposed to be a national democracy? Absolutely not. It's a federal republic with limited powers. And so now you've got a bunch of dopes running around saying it's something else. And conservatives believing it. Starting with Abraham Lincoln. This is the problem. The physical impossibility of secession. There's no physical impossibility of it. Lincoln was just an idiot. If there were to be sovereign pure red and blue places... This wouldn't look like the relatively neat split of the United States into, into two in the 1860s, but more like the post-peace of Westphalia Europe with hundreds of different entities. Well, okay, here's the thing. Yeah, you're going to have pockets in red states that are blue. Well, you're, but the state is still going to be generally conservative. That's, that's the way it's going to be. And uh, you would have pockets of red in blue states, but the state's going to be generally left. Right? I mean, this is what you would have. Some proponents of national divorce say not to worry. It can all be worked out amicably. But if we are going to split up because we can't even agree on bathroom policies or pronouns, how are we going to agree to divvy up our territory and resources? <gasps> I don't know. Maybe we could do it through treaty? There's that thing. Treaty, it's, it's pretty, pro- pretty prominent. I mean, treaties are something that foreign powers work out all the time. We work out treaties with horrible places. We can't do it, or at least agreements, executive agreements. We can't do that with our own people, Americans. We can't do that. Come on. 
These are just these are boogeyman arguments. They're they're straw man arguments. They're designed to incite fear. All these things could be worked out. It would matter, obviously, who gets control of the federal government, the most powerful organization on earth. <laughs> Look what he just called the federal government, an organization. You're right. The most powerful bureaucracy organization on earth in the history of the world, probably. The most powerful. It's not a it's not a government. It's not a federal republic. It's an organization. Lowry unknowingly let the cat out of the bag that National Review is, in, is on board with this kind of stuff. I mean, there have been people for years that have been critical of National Review and what it really is. But here we have it. It's an organization. It's not a government. It's not controlled by the populace at all. It's an organization with its own inertia. It has 1.3 million people under arms and a stockpile of 3,800 nuclear warheads. Whether to cruise to red or blue America would, to understate it, be a matter of considerable, considerable haggling. Well, of course. Well, if these states leave, well, then those people go back home to their state. and They're not part of that U.S. Army anymore. And whatever stockpiles that are in those states, well, they get it. Right? I mean, this is you'd have to agree to all this stuff. Certainly. On top of all this, red state secession would be self-defeating. Let's say Texas left. That's 40 electoral votes off the national map for Republicans. In 2020, with no Texas, Trump could have won Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin and still fallen short of an electoral majority. Well, I agree. This is true. You could say the same thing for California, which is why the right should be pushing California out of the union, right? We should just get rid of California. So, again... These are, this is fear-mongering. Well, if Texas isn't here, we don't even have a shot in the national elections. But you could move to Texas. You could. You could move to Texas. So I think it's better for the, for the blue states to get out than the red. Let, let the blue states who are anti-American, really, they're really anti-American in what America was supposed to be, and let the red states have it. On the other hand, Texas isn't quite as ruby red as it used to be. It could secede and still find itself governed by the very Democrats it hoped to leave behind. Probably not. I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, people are pump, are going into Texas. But what ha- Texas controls much of the border with Mexico, so it shuts it off. There's no more border between Mexico and Texas that's open. It's closed, and so you don't have a. And you would have people leave Texas. I can guarantee you, if Texas was independent you would have people going the other way back into Arizona, California. They would get the heck out. People would leave Texas in droves. I'll tell you how I know that would happen. In Alabama, several years ago, they passed a law that in order to get uh, a tag a car, I believe it was, you had to show a driver's license. You had to, you had to show that you're legal, a legal citizen. You know what happened? Uh, the number of... Uh, people in Alabama illegally dropped dramatically because they just passed a simple law and people got out of Alabama. They went to Georgia or they went to Mississippi or they went to Tennessee. They just got out of Alabama immediately. So all you got to do is just pass a few laws and everything would just turn around almost imme- almost instantaneously. It would turn around. Besides, will the rest of the country really be willing to watch a state of 29 million, million people that represents the ninth largest economy in the world, go its own way. Oh my gosh. 
Would we be willing to let people go? Would we be willing to let people have self-determination? <gasps> the horror of that. The horror. So what he's saying there is, no, we're not going to let you go. We're not going to let you determine to do what you want to do. We're going to keep you here. You see, these are the authoritarians. Rich Lowry is an authoritarian. Rich Lowry is dangerous. It's not our state. It's Texas. Texas was independent at one time anyways. Meanwhile, red state secession might not actually stem the cultural tide. Would the college professors in these places be less woke? Would the newsrooms be more conservative? Would people in the state stop using social media? Well, of course not. But that doesn't mean that all that stuff is going to fly, right? Because you could have... Uh, you could you would have... I mean, look, we... There have been plenty of studies to show that if the South, for example, was still independent today, it would be much more conservative than the rest of the United States. And a lot of the laws that the South has to agree to today would not even be there. There would be, still be leftists in the South, without a question. They're not going to go away, but they just wouldn't win anything. So maybe they would go away. I mean, we know that, uh, I think, I guess it was in, uh, was it in Texas, Mississippi, one of those states when... Uh, I, I think it was Texas. When uh, Texas came, lefties were saying, we're going to get out of the state. Good, leave, go, see ya. This could happen. The real impetus for the talk of a breakup is despair. It constitutes giving up on convincing our fellow Americans, giving up on our common national project, giving up on our birthright. <laughs> could you be even, could you be more stupid? Our birthright? What's your birthright? To control Texas? No. Our birthright is what the founding generation gave to their posterity, which is this belief in liberty, self-determination, independence. That's our birthright. Going for those things is actually adhering to our birthright. Our common national project? What the heck does that even mean? There's no national project. And I'm going to tell you something. You look at the level of discourse in America today, there's no convincing these people. Either side, really, when you get... I mean, I posted a video on, on social media the other day of Trump supporters and some Democrat. All they're doing is making noises at each other. It's so stupid. This is democracy in action. He concludes, that is an impulse to be resisted. Breaking up is hard to do, and quitting on America is or should be unforgivable. You're not quitting on America. You're actually supporting America. You're supporting America by thinking about secession and the founding principles and self-determination. You're not quitting America. You're supporting America. Decentralization is the American idea. It is the basis of America. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. 